Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robinson, and I have the audacity to talk about authenticity. We talk about what it means to live one's truth, the relationship between personal values and authenticity, what congruence has to do with this whole thing, why being authentic can be risky sometimes, and for certain people in particular, and why we sometimes swear on this show, and of course, much, much more. If any of you are interested in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients, Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop this expertise. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and other excellent folks to offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. If you'd like to learn more about these training opportunities, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a review in places like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, especially those written reviews in Apple Podcasts. It really shows people what they're in for if they choose to listen to our show. So we really appreciate that. Without further ado, here is today's episode on authenticity. So Reed, I was lucky enough to have gone to London a few weeks ago um, to go to a training out there hosted by the company Compass Pathways, but uh, which was awesome. It was cool to be there, but I got to bring my wife along. She's always wanted Sweet. to go to, I guess, back to London. She lived there for a little while when she was in college. Hmm. She loves the history there. She's a history buff. Um, and one of the things we got to do was see Les Mis, a London production of Les Mis. It's probably my favorite I almost said music video. <laughs> it's I love that music, music video. It's such a great music video. It's a good book too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite musicals. And the production was so moving. I mean, we were in tears. It's it's amazing how, I mean, how many times I can listen to that music or see that production and still be so moved. Um, yeah. Moved by, of course, the message, the story, but the, the performance was just so good. So good. Um, but one of my favorite songs is who am i so baljan sings <laughs> who am i um, i was just gonna sing it so i'm glad you did you gotta <laughs> get it in people's heads that's right so you know in there his story arc is so it's a, it's such a interesting treatise on morality and and uh, yeah. integrity and honesty and you know he's got this great story arc uh but the song who am i you know he's he's deciding whether or not he's going to rescue basically this other man who has been confused for him you know this man's going to go to jail i get to go free uh and he's s- grappling with whether or not he should come forward as the real valjean there's all these workers that depend on me mm-hmm. and uh the line the famous line in there is if i speak i am condemned if i stay silent i am damned mm-hmm. it's such an interesting dichotomy and in, in moral quandary um, so I was thinking a lot about that as I was preparing for today's episode where we decided we yeah. want to talk a, and riff a little bit about authenticity, integrity, honesty, being genuine. What do those things really mean? What do they mean in a therapeutic context and just a sort of everyday life context? And maybe we'll weave it back into psychedelics one way or another. And back into Les Mis. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that book. In fact, I read mm. the book first before seeing the musical or any movie mm. about it, but, um, because Victor Hugo is just a literary master. And in fact, I once read that the name Jean Valjean, 
John, Val, John. Mm. The Val means worth. And so like John is worthy of John. John is worthy of himself. Mm. John is as worthy as any other John. Mm. Yes. And I think it's a perfect segue that who am I scene or the whole story, a perfect segue into this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it mean? What does it mean to be authentic? Because you hear a lot of it, especially in pop psychology nowadays, like mm-hmm. be yourself, be true to yourself. Um, be you, others will adapt. Uh, live your truth. A lot of talk mm-hmm. about your truth out there. Yeah. So it, when you think about it, like what, is it, what does it mean? What does it mean to be authentic? Yeah, it can be dizzying because yeah. authenticity has become such a buzzword among content creators uh-huh. where there is a significant struggle to be truly authentic. And that's one thing I like to remember is authenticity is a great ideal and, uh, you know, like almost a moral imperative, mm. right? Um, but it's kind of like being perfect in that it's, I believe it's never perfectly attainable. It's something we're constantly striving for. And then the other part of it for me is that authenticity is kind of fluid. Like authenticity um, your is based on your identity and your values and your truth at the time. And mm-hmm. that changes over time for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's about tuning into the inner voice in the here and now and practicing not only tuning in, but speaking that and living that, living in accordance with the values, the best you know how mm. as you flow through life. I'm glad you brought up the parallels to perfectionism. Um, that can be really stressful. It's certainly stressful for me. Thinking, oh, I got to be authentic. I got to be honest. Yeah. I got to be my real self. When maybe to riff a bit on what you said, like um, living life according to your values, like you described. It, it, you're also doing that while trying to accommodate for social pressures, mm-hmm. right? Like you might show up one way in one social context and show up a completely different way in another social context. And show both of those ways that you're showing up might still be you. Mm-hmm. They might still be authentically you, um, but you're trying to manage who you are with respect to social pressures, expectations, making it in a social world. Yeah, to highlight that, which I think is a really good point, is authenticity is like how you share or it's context dependent versus something like transparency being what you share. Oh, interesting. And that is, uh, it certainly depends on like the situation and use your wisdom to know what and when to share. It's like, did you ever see the movie, The Invention of Lying with Gwyneth Paltrow? Uh, and it's about uh, this fictitious world where lying doesn't exist yet until one guy figures out how to lie. <laughs> and because no one can lie, anything he says, he just goes into a bank and says, I'd like to withdraw the $12,000 that's in my account. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it is. Here you go. Um, and then uh, it just gets into these really interesting like quandaries about complimenting, like how does this hat look on me? Mm, um, do mm. I, you know, how does my hair look? And it highlights the fact that like no one is perfectly honest as humans when you account for all of the things we withhold. And sometimes we withhold them because like the brutal truth can be actually quite jarring. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a difference, I think, between maybe what you might call pro-social lies and anti-social lies. Um, I've heard pro-social lies called blue lies as opposed to like white lies, little yeah. white lies. Um, where we don't, if somebody asks us, how does this hat look on me? Like you said, and we don't love the way the hat looks on this person, but we love that person. We might tell a quote pro-social lie. Oh, it looks great because mm -hmm. we care. Like we want to be kind. We What's true about us, we're being authentic about our love for this person. That's, I guess you could make the argument that yeah. that pro-social lie is not necessarily inauthentic, even if it is dishonest. Yeah. So another way to look at the difference would be congruence a word i really like mm. and honesty like they're not the same thing because in congruence you know, like you you choose what you say to people and what you share with the world judiciously like using that judicious wisdom you know versus like honesty is uh yeah it can be brutal if you're talking about like when someone's asking for an opinion or compliments mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, to, in order, I guess, to demonstrate some authenticity, I'm kind of thinking out loud about these concepts. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I have a completely fully formed treatise on the yeah. moral aspects of authenticity and honesty and quote unquote pro-social or anti-social lies. Uh, but, you know, this is one of the things I really like about podcasting, uh, about people who are willing to be to think out loud in public. Uh, I, I think about the people that I, that, I, that I have invited into my social world, the people I'm drawn to, people I like working with. It's people who are willing to be wrong, people who are willing to yeah. express opinions and, and maybe even get a little bit of flack for those opinions. I think you and I are pretty careful on this podcast. Like we certainly don't want to alienate anybody. We don't want to mm -hmm. ruffle feathers unnecessarily. Um, we want to be kind and gentle. We've gotten feedback that we sort of come across that way, but I think that's authentic. I mean, you and I are pretty gentle dudes <laughs> but for it's the most a, part. It's a good question. Is it, given the context, is it at the expense of full authenticity? Mm -hmm. Like I know when you and I started doing this, there was a lot of fear we would share about being oneself mm -hmm. in a like work sponsored podcast mm -hmm. like like can we swear can we tell super vulnerable stories embarrassing stories right um the swearing one's interesting because believe it or not folks reed and i have talked a lot <laughs> a lot about whether or not we should swear in this podcast and the times when we have and we're, we're not dropping the most vile of swear words but um you know we've gotten some feedback that people don't don't some people don't like it and uh, I've also ironically gotten some feedback that uh, some people actually do love hearing, a, you know, a swear word or two from us. Uh, mm -hmm. The people who have told me that in part say like it makes you seem more like a real person. Mm -hmm. um, and truth be told, I swear in my normal life um, sometimes a lot, depending on how angry I am or mm -hmm. <laughs> and how much pain I am or how frustrated I am. Yeah. And authenticity is kind of... Um, blocked by social pressures mm -hmm. or or societal conditioning like what we feel like we should do versus what is like innately true and alive in us mm -hmm. um and so swearing just is just an interesting example a tricky one too mm -hmm. because like we both grew up as mormon boys mm -hmm. right. where swearing was was uh you know, swearing was bad mm -hmm. in, in, in the cultural context. And so, 
Yeah, that that wasn't uh, authentically part of me until later in life, mm-hmm. but but there were those blocks to authenticity. Not that you should be born swearing, right? right? It's it's one of those highly nuanced ones that highlights the the difficult nature. Like no one is perfectly authentic uh, in all dealings, right? Yeah. Yeah, you and I were talking with our colleague Neil Barclay about swearing and, and uh, a few weeks ago and, and like, what do you tell your kids? Because like you said, I, I grew up just with the rule that swearing was bad. It was sinful. It was un unchristlike or whatever. So that was easy. Oh, I just don't swear. And when I do swear, I should feel guilty and I need to mm-hmm. fix that. I need to repent. Yeah. So raising my kids outside of a religious context now, but still wanting to teach them authentic, moral you know, pro-social behavior, uh, and grappling with this, you know, these words are not inherently bad, but in our social context, they communicate certain things. So if you're going to use these words, use them with skill. And Neil made, made, you know, gave the example of, you know, uh, you can't drive a car until you're 16. There's, there's some reasons behind that. And you have Mm -hmm. to learn some things before somebody gives you the keys to a car. Yeah. Uh, That was a pretty good metaphor. I like that. And so with, with this example and authenticity, because it gets kind of muddy, let mm-hmm. me try and clarify a little bit. So if authenticity is being your true self, unconstrained by external influences, but like considering the context, I think if we were to break it down academically, like, like people have literally written authenticity inventories right. and researched them. And I think those components give maybe a clearer picture of what it is. Like one being self-awareness, mm. like awareness of your own motives. Like if you want to swear or not, like, mm. like mm-hmm. if, if it's not important to you and you don't swear ever, then you could still be authentic. Right. right, right. Um, and then unbiased processing. We were talking earlier about how, uh, yeah, well just, the ability to admit that you're wrong and see the, uh, you know, see the errors that we all make in thinking and um, see how dupable humans can be, um, that unbiased processing. And then what else is there? There's behavior and then there's like relational orientation, like, uh, you know, one component of it being how are you in close relationships where authenticity can and should really come to the surface. Mm-hmm. I like those components. It, I like that it starts with self-awareness. Hard to be authentic to who you really are if you don't know who you really are. But I, that word really are, it's, it gives me the chills a little bit. Like mm-hmm. sometimes my clients will grapple with this. We'll talk about it in therapy. I want to know who I really am. Yeah. I want to know what's yeah. really going on. You know, and it implies that if they if they understood who they quote unquote really were, then they would know how to resolve their suffering. They would know how to act in every situation in a way that would make them feel proud of themselves. Um, and I think it's just more slippery than that for all the reasons we're talking about. You know, who who I really am has shifted yeah. in my life a lot. It's fluid, you know, this whole, uh, there's an impermanence about authenticity, mm. right? And because in fact, depending on what you believe about the human condition, I think like in my belief system, a good part of it is discovering and remembering who we are, like mm-hmm. both from a like a psychological, developmental perspective and spiritual one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is, I mean, we know we, we constantly quote Ram Dass in here, but in, in, I think in, he's, you'll have to correct me because you know him better than I do, but maybe in that Sitting Around the Fire song, he talks about the waking up to the hilarity of the human predicament. The absurdity of your own predicament. You, you aren't to... who you think you are. Yeah. 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 In fact, should we read a Ram Dass quote? There was one I sent you last night oh, yeah. that is tangentially related to the topic, but I love when he talks about the channels of of authenticity. He doesn't call them that, but uh, should we drop a Ram Dass bomb? Yeah. I have it right here, I, I believe. Um, okay. Who you think you are is not who you really are at all. I've used an example many times in lectures, but it's such a vivid one that it's useful to cut through an awful lot of holdings. It involves the levels of perception, the television receiver, the little dial by the side of your eyes. <laughs> when that dial is set on channel five, when you look around the world, you see the physical environment, you see people's bodies. For example, if you were particularly interested in sexual gratification, you might see everybody in terms of a possible sexual partner. And that would be your reality, very physical. That's channel five. Mm -hmm. um, under those conditions, you might be preoccupied with your own physical being, that your body is too weak or too old, too young or too thin or too fat, or too much of this or too little of that. Always something in the wrong place. When I lived in that reality, I was worried about going bald. <laughs> Flip to channel six. Now you've entered into the psychological domain and you look at everybody as happy, sad, righteous, lazy, etc. You could call yourself a manic depressive. You could say, I wish I was as happy as everyone else. Or I'm a young woman looking into the future. Or I'm a mother. That's a social psychological role. I'm a good citizen or I don't care about anything. I'm seeking God. That's a nice one, but these are all psychological. Try channel seven. Now you look out of the world and, and there are 12 categories. Ah, you're a Leo. I know I'd know you anywhere. I'm an Aries. That explains it. Thus far, six and seven have all been the game of individual differences. How are you different from me? Channel eight, when I look into someone's eyes, I see someone else looking back at me. Someone just like me in there. Are you in there? I'm in here, far out. How did you get into that one? Like that people suit. Mm -hmm. At that point, you're aware of all the individual differences as packaging, and you're seeing that which is the same in you as it is in me which in Hinduism is called the Jivatman and in Christianity is called the soul. Let's flip once more to channel nine. When I turn to channel nine, it is as though two mirrors were facing each other with nothing in between. It is yourself looking at yourself. For on channel nine, there is only one of us and we are the ancient one. In that reality on channel nine, we are acting like the many in order to carry out this illusion. And there is only one of us doing all this, the one behind the many. One more flip, channel 10. Flip into channel 10 and you disappear, and that which you were looking at disappears. It all returns to the formless, to that which lies behind the one, the essence of one, or what the Buddhists call nirvana. Channels 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 are all levels of, rea of relative reality, all within the domain of form. Channel 10 is the reality of the formless which lies beneath or behind all forms. Mm. Ramdas. Yeah, in true Ramdas fashion, those sentiments, those ideas make me want to have compassion for myself. They make me want to have compassion for others because, you know, who you think you are or who you think you ought to be might be relative to whatever channel that you're on. Yeah. And it's a 
nonlinear developmental process through these channels or phases? I mean, different frameworks for looking at it, but I like this one for its simplicity and hilarity, mm. you know, of just knowing that sometimes we can be in a channel of uh, preoccupied with say, like he said, physical appearances, mm -hmm. or we could be preoccupied with how someone's doing in their psychological form in this world, or how we're doing. Um, but I love, like, as you progress through those and you start to see through the absurdity of your own predicament that you are actually in this people suit on this planet as a soul peering out into other souls, and sometimes you get this aha moment of like, wait, I see you in there. And maybe sometimes that veil pierces and you can feel that we are actually one. Mm -hmm. The other Ramdas story that I like is about um, when he, well, I don't know if it was after he discovered psychedelics or before, but he started to feel stuffy in the suit and the mask that was his upbringing. Mm. And he, he started to go to different therapists psychiatrists and then realized that all they were doing was trying to get him to put on their suit mm. and then eventually he's like screw that <laughs> i'm ditching all the suits and wearing my own and i mean he's an example of evolving he calls it becoming nobody mm -hmm. but becoming ram das uh involved even like growing out a big beard like Steve mm, and uh, changing his name, which you have not done yet. Oh, you went from Steven to Steve. That's true. <laughs> for actually for, for reasons. Anyway, continue. On. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's it. He, he realized that he, he gets to decide and kind of create his own, his own persona. Not without controversy. Right. That's one thing I think about a lot about being oneself. Like what, what would it yeah. mean to become Steve Thayer or Steven Thayer? Mm -hmm. Um, the things that I maybe prevent me from stepping into authenticity are like, kind of like we were talking about before our social pressures. I don't want to get rejected. I don't want to be hated. I don't want to hurt somebody with an opinion yeah. that might be hurtful. Right. Um, and so to use a term that's also fairly popular right now, sometimes I will mask, I will mask what I really think or, or how I really feel to protect myself and to protect other people. I think yeah. about, you know, as, as therapists, when, when I bring a client back and, you know, they're like, hey, how was your day? How are you, how are you feeling? How are you doing, right? These sort of perfunctory yep. phrases we use in our, in our language. Um, and if I'm not doing well, I'm not going to say, you know what? I'm not doing well. I'm really tired. I'm really stressed. Mm -hmm. uh, in part because I don't want to make their session that's about them, that they're paying for, about me. We're trained... Yeah. Not to do this in graduate school, right? That being said, it's also okay, in my opinion, for therapists to model being human. Like, you know what? I'm feeling pretty tired today, but I'm managing. I'm really excited to help you with whatever you've got going on today. You know, it, it, you, there are ways that you can communicate how you're, you know, you can respond to that question, quote unquote, authentically. Um, but sometimes that question isn't asked because they want to actually know how you're feeling. Like yeah. a lot of times it's just a salutation. Yeah, and again, in your example, authenticity is like how you share it, and it's still true to yourself, but it's context-dependent mm -hmm. versus the like unfiltered transparency may be 
truth-telling about your terrible day, but inappropriately so for someone who's really in need of your support in that session. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you, that you're making this point about the sort of unfiltered transparency because I, I didn't have that terminology for it before, but I, I do know that I, I, it bothers me when people sort of under the guise of authenticity will just be tactless jerks. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just being authentic, man. I'm just, you know, just <laughs> calling it like it is. Um, giving you some tough love. I think you can still be authentic and have tact. Like you said, like the way you deliver the message matters and it can still be authentic. Yeah. And uh, an example, I think earlier I was telling you about this Britney Spears quote I stumbled upon. Mm. And it's a bit of a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down because there's so many, like, uh, so many parts of it. But she said something like, people can take everything from you but your truth. And the question is, can you handle my truth? Mm. And, uh, you know, she's been in uh, quite a journey and predicament of her own uh, around mental health and around uh, having a, you know, guardian or conservator, mm. like around her finances and, and just involuntary commitment to mental health treatment and all that stuff that is such tricky territory. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got like, on the one hand, the the uh, internet rallying behind her, like free Britney, mm -hmm. and then you have... Um, you know, you have her parents just kind of quietly doing, thinking whatever, who knows, and uh, her, you know, speaking up about it sometimes about, uh, I thought that was a profound quote. Yeah. It reminds me of a phrase I hear on the internet sometimes, um, you know, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Uh, and I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about that, about that statement or whether or not it's, it's the most mentally healthy or socially healthy a uh, drum to beat. Or <laughs> you know, a um, couple things come to mind, and we're not certainly going to solve this. We're just highlighting the 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 challenge with mm -hmm. with yeah, authenticity is <laughs> something I s heard in med school. One of my professors in psychiatry, way back before I even went into psychiatry, was like, everyone can look borderline under enough pressure. Mm. And while today, after doing a lot of uh, like, you know, a decade of clinical work and research, including studies around borderline, I don't agree with it literally, but mm. I think it's really telling in that, uh, you know, we all have our breaking point. Um, and the other thing I was gonna say is I read this little internet quote that said, we have all had relationships that nearly put us in a psych ward. Mm. Drop a like if you can resonate or something. <laughs> and, you know, for many people, that's true. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the the um, buttons that get pushed in close relationship um, bring up our deepest and most hidden and sometimes feared neuroses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, a good commentary on common humanity. Um, it does make me think, though, about the perils of authenticity. For some people to be, quote-unquote, who they really are can can be really perilous, can be dangerous. You know, I'm thinking about the LGBTQ kid growing up in a family where if they come out, they could be disowned. or they, I mean, yeah. real, real violence could be done to them. 
it it shows why authenticity doesn't develop in so many people at a young age because mm-hmm. you've got these two forces like attachment and authenticity and so if your if your attachment figures your parents who we as humans depend on for our survival at a longer age than other other species at an mm-hmm. older age than other species then if they're not there and if we have our desire for authenticity that's kind of innate in some ways mm-hmm. if those things are at odds you will sacrifice your authenticity over and over for survival at a young age and it happens and that's where people grow up not knowing who they are mm-hmm. um, and have to rediscover that yeah 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 so i mean to make reference to the what i was saying earlier about um clients coming in and asking like who am i yeah that's often why the confusion I think about my own psychosocial development and I came into adulthood not necessarily knowing what I thought, you know, not, not knowing, well, I'll clarify. Um, I wanted to know what the truth was. I wanted to know what the right things were to think and to believe. And so, but I, I didn't think I could find that in me. I had to find mm-hmm. that outside of me. So I had to find the right college professor. I had to find the right mentor. I had to find the right book, the right God, the right deity. Yeah. Someone please tell me how to be so that I can mm-hmm. be the right way, ultimately so I can be accepted and loved and it will, it will like, you know, some magic spell will occur and I'll get everything that I deserve and need and want if only I can be who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And so like, I think it's not uncommon for adults to grow up fearing that they'll lose relationships if they're authentic, if mm-hmm. I were really seen. And even in my own journey, just what you said reminds me of the years I spent struggling to speak truthfully about my spiritual beliefs from mm-hmm. within a religious community and within like, within a family and within a, a marriage where that felt dangerous to bring mm-hmm. up, like mm-hmm. of having different beliefs than what you were raised with or that what you married with and things like that, that, that can be extremely terrifying, um, when looking it in the face, even though, um, well, on the other side of it, it can be, it can be perilous still, or it can be liberating and, uh, less of a scary outcome than we think. Or even worse. Yeah. You know, I, I want to appreciate you sharing what you shared. Yeah. Um, because I, I want to, Validate those of you who are listening for whom being who you really are, saying what you really think, um, could result in some pretty nasty stuff. Yeah. It could result in ending important relationships or it could result in, in people responding with, with anger or, um, you know, prejudice. Uh, that's, that's the kinds of stuff that is on the line when we're trying to be who who we really are. Yeah. No, this, uh, it does show, uh, that part of authenticity that um, passes it through, not only has the self-awareness, but passes it through that judicious, mm. wise filter, ideally, of uh, the context you're in and mm-hmm. and the safety needs and the priorities. Yeah. Yeah, I think about myself in contexts, um, and I'm, I'm privileged enough to not have too many contexts where if I am who I feel like I am, it's going to result in some kind of horrible consequence, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm very different on this podcast than I would be 
uh, talking to my brothers or Mm -hmm. I'm very different in the therapy room than I would be at home as dad. Like I have different roles that serve as those Mm -hmm. contexts that bring out different sides of me. Um, I remember when I was a Mormon missionary, uh, I was struggling with my mental health, but still trying to do what I thought was right. Mm -hmm. And I remember I gave a talk in church once and one of the members of the congregation came up to me and she was like, Elder Thayer, we, we didn't realize you had a sense of humor. We didn't realize uh-huh. that you were funny. Uh, because I guess I had sort of a resting seriousness face. And well, when, funny. <laughs> when it came to like, you know, teaching the members uh, or the members of the community about the religion, I, was, I took it really seriously. So a pretty serious, yeah. studious, um, you know, didactic side <laughs> came out of me. Uh, but when I was given a speech, I... I was trying to be loose and trying to be funny. So it was, I've had that happen a couple of times in my life where people have heard me be a little funny and be like, oh, we had no idea you had a personality. <laughs> we had no idea you had a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, so I've tried to, to allow more of that to come forward and be a little bit more all of me in each mm-hmm. context. But it's okay. It's okay to be contextual, Steve. And isn't it cool how when you do show your t- true colors, your authentic self with that, like that judicious wisdom um, of context that people really connect with mm-hmm. it. Like that vulnerability is not only like connecting, but it's contagious and it gives people the courage to do the same. Mm-hmm. I like that connecting and contagious. Yeah. So there was a process we used to do that touches on these things when I was uh, working at Center for Change, if you want to try it on yeah. or, or hear about it a little bit. It was Let's from about it. passed on to me from one of my mentors, uh, Michael Barrett, psychologist who founded the place, uh, a, a really uh, beautiful treatment center here in Utah focused on eating disorders. But um, this was a, a process around those things we were talking about of like congruence and honesty and, and he called it balance um, to help you become your authentic self. With the, with the background that c- congruence is when what we think and feel and do and know to be true are in harmony, mm. right? So congruence in our emotions, our relationships, our heart, like what's speaking from in our metaphorical hearts, mm-hmm. our soul, our intuition. And that's when, like, and congruence with our spiritual beliefs. So if we're not in congruence in these areas, we start to lose or disconnect from parts of ourselves, including our spiritual self, hmm. right? Um, and then so integrity is the spiritual side of congruence. Congruence, um, just like stewardship is the spiritual side of responsibility. Hmm. So integrity is congruence in our beliefs, our principles, our values in terms of our spirituality. When we know what our values are, we try to align our life with them. So sound reasonable so far? Yeah, yeah. So when these things get closer together, we're aligned, we're attuned, we're, they're more congruent, and that is integrity inside of us. And it includes like deepest desires and hopes and dreams and values and emotions and goals, things like that. So here's the exercise so that people can follow along. In fact, here's a piece of paper for you, Steve. Nice. Um, on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on the left side write down five of the most important things in your life, priorities that come to mind. And if you're listening, you can follow along, except if you're driving, then you can still do it mentally. 
you can free associate here of five of the most important things in your life that come up for you. And then on the other side, five current realities that take up most of your time in life. Time and energy. And then the inquiry or the practice is this to sit with. Is my energy going to the things that are most important in my life? Like there's nothing wrong or right about this list, right? It's just mm -hmm. a check-in on ourselves. Like how is the congruence between what you know in your heart to be good and true and valuable to you and where you want your time and energy to go compared to how it's been sucked into certain directions. And it might be, I don't know, thoughts on your <laughs> on Yeah, your I'm list? noticing some incongruities. This reminds me of a similar exercise done in ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, mm -hmm. as you're figuring out where what your values are and then uh, you know where you're putting your time and energy. It's, it's very almost the same exercise. But yeah, there's some in incongruities for sure. And so instead of getting like down on oneself, like it's really, there's no good or bad. It's a, it's a beautiful chance to check in. And even if there's irritation or anger about how it's been, you can use that as fuel for transformation. Like we, mm -hmm. we as emotion scientists like to figure out ways of transmuting, transforming emotion with emotion. So what I like to do with that list is just think of one thing you could do this week, this month, whatever, that would move you more in alignment with your priorities, more balanced, more congruent, more personal, internal, unique, authentic integrity to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll share mine. Um, as now that I'm thinking about it. So physical health is really important to me mm -hmm. in, in the form of, uh, you know, physical fitness. Yeah. Uh, but also the food I put into my body and how much I sleep, that kind of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm turning 40 this year and I kind of feel like the wheels are falling off and that's probably hilarious to anybody who's <laughs> much older than 40 to hear me say, but, um, and I've, I've gotten away, I've gotten away from some of my healthy habits and I'm, I'm incongruent, I guess, with that value of, um, treating my body with love in the form of feeding it nutritious food, yeah. and sleeping it and exercising it. So the one thing I'm going to do is uh, finally pull the trigger on that exercise program I've been meaning to <laughs> ah. meaning to start that focuses more on on uh, longevity and um, like making my body healthy instead of making my body sexy. <laughs> and hopefully there's yeah. some overlap between the two. But they're totally incompatible. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like they are. I've got well, a, I've got bad joints, so a lot of this program is about, you know, making my joints healthy, which is usually not making my muscles bigger, but cool. I'm excited to hear how it goes. Um, yeah, I, uh, went through the Chick-fil-A drive through today. Mm. I rarely go to buy food like personally, but yeah, I listened to my body mm. and, and followed it into the drive through and had some yeah. chicken. Your body needed a, a Christian chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, what do we do with Chick-fil-A's values and authenticity? Maybe we just avoid that topic altogether. 
Well, it's, it's, I mean, it brings up something interesting about authenticity. You know, there's the old adage, we don't talk about religion and politics, you know, yeah. in, in, in good company, because inevitably it will trigger people. Because religion and politics are things that people tend to believe in very, very deeply, like to, to their core, but sometimes, and sometimes are unwilling to, to yeah. conversate about or debate, um, to be open about. Because for me, in order to have an authentic conversation with somebody about something I believe in, this is just me, uh, I have to be open to the possibility of having my mind changed. Yeah. I, I gotta be open to at least the, if even if there's just a shred, of the possibility that I might be wrong about something. And what I've noticed is that, and some of the feedback I've gotten about that, is that it contributes to a, a fairly relaxed demeanor that mm-hmm. put people at ease. One of, the, yeah. one of the things, one of the consistent sort of positive uh, feedback that I've gotten as a therapist is that I make people really comfortable. Yeah, And yeah. that's part of it, is like I'm, I'm holding my opinions, my strong opinions very, very loosely. I'm totally cool with being convinced otherwise. Yeah, the, yeah. The shadow side of that is sometimes I have a hard time sticking to opinions. I might seem like a waffler. Um, but it's just because in the face of good data or a convincing argument, I'm totally willing to change my mind. Yeah, and I think that's part of authenticity the way I see it is just the, and that fluid nature we were talking about is just being very, very open to the possibility that uh, we may have some tightly held false beliefs and we may be wrong. We may not have all the data and, uh, we're always changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed my Chick-fil-A sandwich, uh, changed my mind. Well, <laughs> let's, let's debate it. Right. But no, I, I do think it, while it is context dependent and you don't want to bring up like really touchy subjects at the wrong time. It's And like John Gottman says, there's a soft startup mm-hmm. to even difficult conversations, but avoiding them altogether like I almost did on the uh, on the religious front is also like, that's the opposite of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me think of the uh, another word you used earlier, integrity. I like that word in this conversation because, you know, I like to think of structural integrity. If, mm-hmm. a, if a bridge yeah. has structural integrity, it's going to, it's going to do what it's designed to do. It's going to hold up the bridge above it, like the pillars of the bridge or whatever. It's going to cr- cross a chasm. It's going to allow us to travel. Um, and it's going to withstand the, the buffeting of the elements. So if you can have stru- you know, psychological, moral, structural integrity, but also be flexible, mm-hmm. so you're flexible, like the bamboo reed, you're still strong you're not brittle and rigid. Um, you like can still a, be who you are and be flexible. Like a suspension bridge, perhaps. I don't know my structural yeah. engineering very well, <laughs> but I like the I like that tie to integrity because it is something that is a word that really resonates with me, and I like to uh, sit with because, like, and I I think I share that same approach that you mentioned is like being flexible, willing to admit I'm wrong, but I just also know how to take in data and analyze it. And like, I may go in with a certain political stance to a conversation, but without like pretending to know everything or having this like argument that can't be disputed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's just, it's an open receptive stance, right? 
and uh, and because of what we do in work, we have the ability to study a study, test a test, digest literature, and we can like we're we're probably constantly practicing this and like um, disproving hypotheses all the time and mm-hmm. uh, trying on new ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I think that openness and receptivity is really, really important in sort of general mental health. A lot of the things that keep people depressed and anxious are their rigid beliefs, rigid beliefs that make them suffer. Uh, One of the things that we think, you know, to tie it back to psychedelics, I feel like that's, I'm obligated to do that (laughs) given the, the title of our podcast. But one of the things that psychedelics tends to do, what the research suggests and uh, my personal experience bears out is it it makes you more flexible. It opens you up to the possibility of changing what were once rigid beliefs. You can bend and not break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, uh, well, maybe to sum it up from my end, uh, I like how Brene Brown conceptualizes authenticity. She says it's like this collection of choices we make every day, including the choice to show up real and the choice mm-hmm. to be show up vulnerably even if we're wrong (laughs) and just let ourselves be seen. Yeah. So here's to letting ourselves be seen. Um, Go ahead and email us, folks, if you've got feedback about today's episode or suggestions (laughs) for new ones. Um, This is Reed and I trying to be authentic. Hope you like it. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay if you don't. Thanks, folks. Thank you. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Numinous a mental wellness company committed to tackling the global mental health crisis by delivering best-in-class psychedelic-assisted therapies, contributing to the body of primary and clinical psychedelic research, and fostering healing through community connection and social responsibility. You can learn more about Numinous at Numinous.com. That's N-U-M-I-N-U-S.com. If you enjoyed the show today and you want to support us, here's how you do it. Rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe to the Numinous YouTube channel, like the videos, and share it. Share the show or clips of the show with someone that you think will enjoy it. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.